Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part one of the book of Genesis, chapters 28 through 30. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Seeking Truth. Our discussion tonight will cover Genesis 28, 29, and chapter 30. We are learning about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And after the Holy Spirit fell on the Feast of Pentecost, Peter went out into the crowd full of the Holy Spirit, and he said, The God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when Pilate had decided to release him. So their God is our God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is the God of our fathers as well. The three patriarchs we've been discussing. But along with those three patriarchs we see tonight, there are four matriarchs. And I'd like to give a little time to the matriarchs because they're our matriarchs as well. Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel tonight. Now, buried in that cave at Machpelah, that's the cave that Abram bought for Sarah from the Hittite. Remember, he paid full price for that land, and it was called the cave at Machpelah. It's the cave of the patriarchs. The word Machpelah means double tombs. It's the cave of double tombs. And so each patriarch is there buried with his matriarch only one wife, and they are buried in double crypts. And Abraham and Sarah are in one, Isaac and Rebekah are in one, and G- Jacob and Leah are in one. Leah will be laid to eternal rest with Jacob. She is the first wife of Jacob, right? So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebekah, and Leah for all eternity, not Hagar, not Rachel. What is God teaching? God teaches in stages over time. That's his pedagogy. And he is teaching his people not polygamy. One wife, the first wife, Adam and Eve, they were singular. The, the primordial marriage is between one man and one woman. So polygamy in the catechism is addressed at 1645, and it says the unity of marriage distinctly recognized by our Lord is made clear in the equal personal dignity which must be accorded to man and wife in mutual and unreserved affection. Polygamy is contrary to conjugal love, which is undivided, and exclusive. So God's design, and he's teaching them over time, is one man, one woman, not sister wives. No, no, no. Even though people are enthralled and and like to watch that type of idea. No, that's not God's plan. Rachel, the second wife, in fact, is buried on the roadside outside of Bethlehem. She died giving childbirth to Benjamin, and they couldn't go back, and they buried her there on the roadside. Rachel died. She was buried on the way to Ephrathah. That is today's Bethlehem, and her grave is still there. Her tomb is still there to this day. She died when her soul was departing from her body. When the soul and body were separating, she was giving childbirth. She called out his name. They told her it was a boy. She said, name him Benoni son of my sorrow, and she died. His father Jacob called him Benjamin, but she is buried there right on the roadside. That road is still there. It's a main thoroughfare. And many, many people 
go visit her grave, especially young brides, women who are in love, will go to this very highly regarded place. So these four women are the matriarchs of the Jewish faith, Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. The final matriarch of the Jewish faith would be the one who would fulfill Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, the one that would birth Messiah. That would be the final matriarch. That was the Proto-Evangelium told already immediately after the fall in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, but you will bruise his heel. A woman, the final matriarch, will give birth to the seed that will crush the head of Satan, free mankind from the bondage of sin and death and make a way back to the father. So that looks a number of different ways. That matriarch in Revelation 12 is one by which the great dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child that he might devour her child the second she brought it forth. That red dragon, there he is, is the same as Satan. It's just an, another form, another symbol. In this painting, you see her foot. She's holding the Messiah, uh, the final matriarch, Mary. She's holding Messiah in her arms. Her foot is crushing a snake. It's the same snake attached to, let me zoom in, Adam and Eve and the snake in the garden. So the new Hava, the new Eve. Uh, if you go to the foothills of Ankarim, it's a suburb of Jerusalem. It's the place of the visitation. Mary went with haste to the foothills to visit her kinswoman, Elizabeth. There is a Catholic church there called the Church of the Visitation of Mary to Elizabeth. It's a beautiful church, but it celebrates the matriarchs of the Jewish faith and the Catholic faith. It's a Catholic church. Who would be the one to birth Messiah and assist in crushing that serpent's head? And the main altarscape is a big, big painting of Mary. It's the only one I've ever seen where Mary is standing out in the wilderness. She's in a desert, which I found why is she painted in a desert? And then I remembered Revelation 12. The woman fled into the wilderness, into the desert, where she had a place prepared by God in which to be nourished for 1,260 days. And you see in this church all the matriarchs of the Jewish faith, starting in the first corner with Hava, with Eve, and every woman. Was it Eve? No. Was it the next one? No. Was it the next one? No. And it goes all the way around the great women of Israel, and it ends with the big altarscape of Mary in the desert. She's the final matriarch. Uh, we go from Eve, the mother of all the physically living, to Mary, the mother of all the spiritually living, because Mary is the one who brought Messiah to crush the head of God. And then there are giant frescoes painted, each with a scene with the title of Mary and where she earned that title in which church council. Mary, mother of God. Mary, refuge of sinners. Mary, advocate for the people of God. That's the feast at Cana, where she advocated for the young couple. Mary, help of Christians. It's the Battle of Lepanto. Mary, free of original sin by the Immaculate Conception, when that dogma was made. Mary in the desert. Also, Revelation 12 says the woman was given two wings of the great eagle that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. Who's the great eagle that flew Mary into the wilderness of Ephesus? John. Jesus gave John Mary on the cross. Take her as your mother, woman, take him as your son. And he took her to the desert where she was safe. The final Jewish matriarch who birthed Messiah and helped crush the head of Satan, setting humanity free. This was foretold long ago by Micah, the prophet, that you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you're little among the clans of Judah. You met Judah tonight, the fourth son of Leah. 
the son the royal line of Messiah would come from. Not Reuben, not Simeon, not Levi. It'll be Judah, the fourth. The four ordinal directions, north, south, east, west, for all people. Judah, the royal line, the line of King David. All from you, the clans of Judah, you will come forth from me. One who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient of days. And the wise men came to that tiny town of Ephrathah and Bethlehem, wise men from the east who had been following a star for months. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests, the scribes of the people, Herod inquired where this Christ was to be born. And they told him Bethlehem of Judea. It was written by the prophet and he quotes the prophet Micah. You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler. Jeremiah had also written about it after the exile to Babylon. When they were returning, there was a prophecy of this joyful return of the Jewish exiles. And Jeremiah said, thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. The Rachel who we met for the first time tonight, she's weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no longer. They are not because Rachel is buried on this road outside of Bethlehem, weeping for her children. What children? The exiles that are coming back to a destroyed city. But also Herod has sent out an absolutely sheer evil order to kill every male child under age three right there in Bethlehem where she's buried. It's the slaughter of the innocents, the first holy martyrs of the church. They are slaughtered right near Rachel's tomb. And Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted because they are no longer. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child that he might devour her child the minute she brought it forth. The forces of evil are working through King Herod. The forces of evil were always at work trying to devour the Messiah, knowing that the Messiah would be the one that would crush his head. So he wants to devour him first. Rachel is weeping there right outside of Bethlehem, comforted, uh, refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. Project Rachel has also adopted this image of Rachel. Rachel, uh, as one who weeps for children who are no more, uh, again, helping mothers, assisting mothers uh, who have had abortion. The Holy Family has escaped before the slaughter of the Holy Innocents. An angel has appeared to Joseph in a dream, and they have already taken off for Egypt where they become immigrants. They don't know the language. They have no currency. They don't, they're, they're, they're running for their lives from evil, from Herod. But this again will fulfill another ancient prophecy. When they return from Egypt, out of Egypt, I have called my son, Hosea 11.1. 1. Let's take a look then at this first matriarch and this final Jewish matriarch. The first matriarch is Sarah, the final Mary. Both women have divine birth announcements given to both matriarchs, and they are promised that they will have royalty. They will be the mother of a king. Sarah says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And Mary says, nothing 
is impossible with God. Both women have supernatural pregnancies, an old barren woman, a young virgin woman. These are both outside of humanity's powers. These are supernatural pregnancies. And both matriarchs delivered sons of promise in the same line as Abraham's covenant. They are both daughters of Abraham, and these will be children of Abraham. Sarah laughed, remember, Mary trusted. Mary said, be it done unto me according to thy word. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. She professed that all generations would call her blessed. And still today we call her blessed Virgin Mary. She said, his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation to generation to generation for our children and our grandchildren too. And she said, he has helped his servant Israel. He has remembered of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his posterity forever. She's part of the Abrahamic covenant. We are part of the Abrahamic covenant. Let's review those Jewish matriarchs. Number one, Sarai. She is 90 plus years old when she becomes the mother of laughter, Isaac. Number two, Rebecca. She has the twins, little redhead, hairy boy, Esau and her beloved favored Jacob. Leah will have six sons for Jacob as well as his only daughter Dinah, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Dinah, and then beautiful, beautiful Rachel, barren for years until she gives birth to her precious Joseph, followed by Benoni on the road to Bethlehem, dying in childbirth. So these four Jewish matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel, when you go to the Holy Land, you'll see them in glass windows. You'll see them in the hospital. You'll see them all over the place. They're very proud of their matriarchs. And we, they are our matriarchs as well. Uh, embroidered on towels, embroidered color books. Uh, Leah and Rachel are the daughters of Jacob's uncle Laban, who we will meet tonight. The patriarch Jacob will also be our focus these next few weeks. He's a wonderful picture of humanity. And I've titled this lecture tonight, What You Sow is What You Reap. So if you sow corn seeds, you get corn. And if you sow wheat kernels, you get wheat. And if you, you because what you sow is what you reap. If you sow hate, then you will reap hate. What you sow is what you reap. If you sow love, then you will reap love. If you sow peace, you will reap peace. Whatever you sow in your life, if you sow, just sow joy, you'll, you'll reap joy. You sow what you reap. If you sow deceit like Jacob did, what you sow is what you reap. The deceiver will get deceived tonight. Jacob will get Jacobed. That's what the Jews called it. What goes around comes around. What goes around comes around. That's another way to say it. Or the golden rule that your mother might have told you to do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Jacob was born holding the twin brother, Esau's hill, and his name means holder of the heel or supplanter because he twice deprived his brother of his rights as firstborn son. A supplanter is something or someone who wrongfully takes the place of another. So a supplanter could be like a person who takes someone else's place in line. Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever cut the line? Anybody here? The lunch line, any line? Okay, thank you. Because I did this too. I cut the line at the airport. Oh, my boys were mortified. We were just this Christmas break. I had one little tiny bag and we were all good. Our, our flight was, we're going to miss the flight. And this big group of pilgrims, 50 people come right 
They're right in front of us. They're going to the Holy Land in three hours, and my flight's leaving in 20 minutes. And I knew some of them from Seeking Truth. So I cut the line. But today, the supplanter will be supplanted. In Genesis, supplanting is referred to the circumstances uh, around the birth of Jacob. Remember that Hebrew root word means to follow, to be behind, or to supplant, to circumvent, to assail, or to overreach. Those are synonyms. He's trying to grab that heel. With most siblings, it's very clear who's the elder brother. It's not you know, that hard to figure out. But with these two, with twins, it's a matter of seconds, right? And that first one out gets so much more, or so it seems. Now, Isaac prayed because Rebecca was barren and he prayed and prayed and prayed and she finally conceived and remember those children those twins were struggling inside of her and she said if, 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 if this is thus then why do I live she didn't know what it was like to be pregnant and this was horrible and the Lord gave her a word of prophecy a word of knowledge the Lord told her this is Jacob's God and he says two nations are in your womb two peoples are going to be divided one shall be stronger than the other the elder shall serve the younger now, that's not how it's supposed to be. The younger supposed to serve the elder. But in this case, the elder shall serve the younger. And so when she had days to be delivered, when those were fulfilled, there were twins in her womb. The first one came forth, red, his body like a hairy mantle, and they called him Esau. And afterward, the brother came forth and his hand had taken hold of Esau's hill and they named him Jacob. Rebecca always remembered that prophecy because it was so very real to her. She knew that the elder would serve the younger, and she therefore favored her younger son, Jacob. She knew to follow, to be behind, to supplant, to circumvent, to assail, to overreach. And I was interested in the word circumvent because I think it's a good description. It said in the dictionary to find a way around an obstacle, to overcome a problem or difficulty in a clever or surreptitious way to deceive or outwit. I think that's exactly what Jacob did. He wanted to circumvent Esau's birthright and he wanted to circumvent his firstborn blessing. First, he got the birthright. You'll remember the brother came in famished. He just was starving. He said, I have to have some of that red pottage. Give me some of that lentil stew. Oh my gosh. And Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. And he says, I'm about to die. What good is this birthright? And, and he says, swear to me, swear to me. And he, he, gave up his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. And the scripture tells us Esau despised his birthright. He didn't care about it. He was slothful towards the faith. Then he had the birthright, but now he needs that blessing. So Rebecca, the sister of Laban, is going to help fulfill that prenatal prophecy that she remembered so well. And she cooks up a plan to help her son. Blind old Isaac, your father, he can't see. But Isaac will use all of his other senses. If you recall, he'll use the sense of touch. He says, come near my son that I might feel you, my son, and know if you are really my son Esau. He uses his ears to listen. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And then he uses taste. Are you really my son? He says, well, then let me eat some of the game you caught. He knows the taste of how Esau cooks the stew. And he came near and then he used to smell and he smelled his garments. So every other sense but sight, he was blind. He was physically blind. Is he spiritually blind as well? Because Isaac blessed Jacob, and that blessing is irrevocable. Jacob had circumvented the blessing. He found a way around the obstacle, a way to overcome the problem or difficulty in a very, very clever, 
surreptitious way to deceive or outwit. Uh, Isaac blessed Jacob. Jacob got the irrevocable blessing. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And once it had gone out, it couldn't be retracted. It's irrevocable. The father's right hand blessing. And very soon, minutes after he finished that blessing, Esau comes in from hunting. He prepares the savory food. He brings it to his father and he says, let my father arise, eat the game, and then bless Bless me, Father. And Isaac says, who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn son, Esau. And then Isaac began to violently tremble. And I thought of Isaac and all he had been through in his life. He had been the sacrifice on the altar, ready to have his own father kill him. I'm sure he was shaking violently at that point too. He's shaking violently again. Who was it then that hunted that game? Who brought it to me? I ate it all before you came. I've blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed because the blessings are irrevocable. I can't take it back. When Esau heard these words, he cried with exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said, bless me also, my father. He had lost the blessing. It's gone out. He can't get it back. And Isaac said, your brother came with guile. Remember that, with guile. Jacob had guile. He has taken away your blessing. Oh, is he not rightly named Jacob? Yaakov, deceiver, he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. Now he's taken away my blessing. So Esau from that moment on hated Jacob. He hated him. He wanted to kill him. I will kill my brother Jacob. Behold, your brother Esau is comforting himself by his plans to kill you. Rebecca tells her son, you must go. You must flee to Laban, my brother in Haran. Stay with him for a while. When his fury dies down, we'll send for you. But Rebecca has to get Isaac to approve this plan. And so she goes in and says to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of these Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women, one of these women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So Jacob Jacob is called in by Isaac. He blesses him again and he charges him that he is not to marry one of the Canaanite women, the sons, the daughters of Canaan. That is the cursed son of Ham and his mother by maternal incest. Those are Canaanite women. Hittites are among them. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. Take a wife there from one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may Almighty God bless you. May he make you fruitful. May he multiply you. May you become a company of peoples. May God give you the blessing of Abraham. May your descendants be with you and take possession of the land and the sojournings which God gave to Abraham. So I Isaac sends Jacob away to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. And Esau saw that Isaac had again blessed Jacob. And he saw that he had sent him away to take a wife and charged him as he was blessing him that he shall not marry one of the Canaanite women like Esau had already done. Jacob obeyed his father and his mother. And when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took to wife besides the wives he had. Okay, you don't want me to have Canaanite wives? then I'll have some of Ishmael's daughters. Is that better than a Canaanite wife? That's Hagar's son. I don't know, you mother-in-laws, you know about stuff like this, don't you? <laughs> Is this a good thing? Jacob left Beersheba, he went towards Haran. You see, he's down at Beersheba, he's going towards 
and, and it's night. Night, the sun has set, so he needs to stay there. So he takes one of the stones, he puts it under his head and finds a place to sleep. He dreams that there's a ladder set upon the earth and on top, the top of it reaches all the way up to heaven. And behold, the angels of God are ascending and descending upon the ladder. This is a spectacular vision, a spectacular dream. God is speaking to him through a dream. The Lord stood above the ladder and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants and your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And by you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth bless themselves. He's getting the Abrahamic blessing. He's the one to carry it on. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and now the God of Jacob. Behold, Jacob, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. Now that's comforting for a man who's being hunted down by his brother to be killed. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done that of which I have spoken to you. Thus said the Lord in the dream. And when Jacob woke up from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. And he was afraid. This is a holy, awesome type of fear. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven right here where I slept tonight, where that ladder went up and angels were going up and down. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. That's what the word Bethel means. He named it the house of God. So Jacob rose early in the next morning. He took the stone which he had put under his head. He took the stone. He set it up like a pillar, like an altar and he slathered it with oil. Oil in the Bible is reminiscent of the Holy Spirit. He poured oil all over the top of his altar and he named that place Bethel, the house of God. The name of the city was called Lutz at first. Now it's the house of God, the gate of heaven. Well, I thought this must be an amazing place. What is this place? What's the connection? It's got to be the foundation stone, right? In the Holy of Holies, surely this is the presence of God is in this place, right? Is that a good guess? Wrong. Nobody goes here. This is the picture in 1894. No tour buses stop here. It's nothing now. What? How could this be? It's 12 miles north of Jerusalem. It's empty. Continued excavations are going on. Here's a Google image of it. They have a few spots marked out. There's not much there. There's a little, they've scaffolding a tree that maybe was old. They put a, there's a, a little hut here. What is this place? This was where this incredible, incredible thing. They built a shelter over where Jacob had laid, where he had seen this incredible vision. Hmm. I thought that was going to be more than that. Huh. I wonder what that is. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I can come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Have you ever bargained with the Lord like that? If God does this, 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 and this, then I'll believe in him. That's what he's doing. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house and all that thou givest me, I will give back to thee one-tenth. What's that called? When you give God one-tenth of all you have before taxes, that's a biblical tithe. Good. One-tenth. That's what we're supposed to give the Lord. That's what he gave the Lord at this house of God. That's our first fruits before taxes. That's giving our best, not the leftovers. Giving right off the top the best to God. That was part one of the book of Genesis, chapters 28 through 30, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. 
To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.